Philippians chapter 4, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 4 through verse 7. And so Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men, The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O Lord God in heaven, we are thankful for Your truth. We thank You that You did not leave us in the dark, but You have revealed Yourself to us in Your word so that we might know how to live and how to serve You, that we might know the truth of our condition, of our natural condition, that we might know the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ. And that we might know the great comforts of the promises of Your Word, which You assure us and apply to us through the power of the Spirit. And so we just praise You and thank You, Lord. And especially as we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray that Your Spirit would give us understanding and insight and that as Your Word goes forth in the power of the Spirit, we do pray that it would find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil. That brings about great and abundant fruit for your glory. We ask now for your blessing upon your your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So what are you worried about? Is there anything in your life currently? Or in the lives of those around you? In the church or in the world? That's stirring up anxious thoughts within you? Maybe things related to, uh, to health or spiritual issues or struggles, relationships, your parents, your children, your grandchildren, or issues at school, at work, or at home. Maybe there's financial concerns, the direction of our, nature, of our nation. Maybe just the wars and the rumors of wars in the world, or perhaps just a a general sense of anxiety about the future and what it holds for you and all that you care about in this life. What is it that keeps you awake at night or consumes the bulk of your thoughts throughout the day? Naturally, it's common for people to get anxious and worry about these kinds of things. And so what we want to be considering this morning is that when you face such anxious times, where can you go to find peace? Or is it even possible? Is peace even possible? Well, according to what the Apostle Paul writes in our passage this morning, finding peace is certainly possible. And in fact, it's something that we're charged to pursue with all diligence. 
Paul's exhortation comes, of course, on the heels of urging the Philippians to seek unity and peace in their midst, within their congregation, with the conflict uh, between Yodia and Syntyche being an example. And they were charged to bring peace to the body by encouraging these women to find peace with one another. But now, the Apostle zeroes in on seeking peace within our own hearts, within ourselves, as we live in the midst of a very anxious world. And in this passage, the Apostle lays down the path to finding a peace that surpasses all understanding, even the peace of the living God. And Paul begins with a command in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I again I say I will say rejoice. Now it may seem strange to command someone to rejoice, but this is exactly what Paul does and he does it twice. And the repetition of course of the command is to emphasize its importance. Now we look at this and this isn't too hard to take, right? Even if it is a command, We don't mind being told and even told repeatedly to do something good, like be glad and rejoice. No, the real challenge comes with one word in the sentence, in the verse. Always. Words like always, or never, whereas Paul uses in verse 6, nothing and everything are all uh, inclusive, or they may be all exclusive. Right? They're words that that give us pause, especially when it comes in the form of a command, or it comes in conjunction with a command. You see, we do well with rejoicing uh, here and there at the right times and at the right occasions, but always, at all times. In every and all situations. Well, I don't know about that. You'd be thinking, you know, come on, Paul. You don't know my situation. You haven't walked in in my shoes. You don't know the troubles that I have endured and am enduring. How can you say, rejoice in the Lord always? Well, it's true, the Philippians' protest just might be the same as our own might be. And Paul, likely expecting such objections, either from his readers then, or 2,000 years later, he basically says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And you know what? In case you didn't hear or understand it the first time, again I say, Rejoice. Now Paul isn't here charging to just put on a fake smile and and pretend to be happy when in reality uh, your life is in the midst of a great storm. No, not at all. He's speaking here about a true and sincere joy that's not affected by the outside circumstances, by those things that are going on around you. It's a joy that remains constant and unwavering. Besides, the Apostle knew their situation. He knew what they were enduring. 
He already identified and sympathized with them in their suffering, knowing the persecution that they've endured. In fact, he knows exactly what they've experienced because Paul had the very same experience when he was there with them. And of course, in other places, wherever he proclaimed the gospel, he suffered and was persecuted. In fact, even now, as Paul is, is writing this letter, he's, he's in chains in a Roman prison awaiting his fate, and he's in, not uh, knowing, he knows that any moment of any day, word may come that he is being condemned to death. The apostle knows suffering. At least the Philippians had still had their freedom. At least they could come and go as they pleased, but, but Paul had none of this. And yet, as if to, to show them this was no mere platitude, he himself rejoiced and was rejoicing. Back in chapter 2, verse 17, he had said, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, if I'm, if I'm losing my life... Because of you, because of of how I have served you and proclaimed the truth of the gospel to you. He goes on to say, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's glad and rejoicing that he's enduring this suffering for their sakes. And so Paul wasn't telling them here to do something that was impossible. He's simply challenging them to follow his own example. But how could they? How could the Philippians rejoice in the midst of such difficult times? How could Paul? How can we? Well, there are a few reasons to note as to how and why we ought to rejoice always, even in the midst of of troublesome circumstances. First, the command to rejoice in the Lord should compel us to be less inward-focused and more outward focus. You see, when we're faced with trials, the the natural inclination of our hearts is to be drawn inward. right, Inward toward ourselves and and toward the suffering and the, the affliction that we're enduring. You see, I've been hurt. I've been afflicted. I'm the one who's suffering. But the longer we stay inward focused, You see, the more we're tempted to wallow in self-pity. And if we wallow in self-pity for too long, we then become overcome with despair. And this, of course, makes our misery even worse, not better. But you see, if we're challenged to rejoice, even in the midst of our suffering... In order to rejoice, we actually have to take the eyes, our eyes off our inward selves and we need to look out and we need to look up outside ourselves to find joy. And so it compels us to, to look out rather than inward. This is why Paul specifically says, Rejoice in the Lord. Because only in the Lord do we have reason to rejoice always. Focusing upon self doesn't bring joy. See, because we only see the mess that we're in. And we're often powerless to do anything about it. And again, that leads to just further despair. But looking to Christ, who He is, and what He has done for us, 
That is what brings true lasting joy to our hearts and to our minds. Thoughts of the Heavenly Father's great love and compassion for us in that He so loved us even when we were His enemies that He sent His only begotten Son to suffer and die for our sins so that we might be saved in Him. And so that the the blessings of Christ's sacrifice and His redemption, that they flow not just here in the here and now, but eternally forever. Blessings that never fade away. Well, there's something to rejoice in. And so all this should be reason enough to rejoice in the Lord, even in the midst of some passing trial that may befall us during this brief period of time we call life. And compare it to an eternity of joy in the Lord's glorious presence, our trials in this life are but nothing, a mere drop in the bucket. And so in the Lord, we have great reason to rejoice. Well, secondly, related to this is that we must remember that joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we find in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now the implication here is that these fruits are to be demonstrated in all Christians. right? As, as evidence of the work of the Spirit in them. That is, if the Spirit is truly present in you, then you should be bearing these fruits in your lives. And this is what the Holy Spirit helps you to do. To bring forth this Spirit. And so there's no problem then that you're, you're commanded to bring forth such fruit. Because you work in the strength the Spirit provides to bring forth such fruit for God's glory. And so for example, we have the command to love one another. Love is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we're commanded to love one another, even love our enemies. Now this isn't easy. But you see, if the Holy Spirit is at work in you, well then you can actually produce such fruit that you can actually love your enemies. It's possible. Only through the Spirit. The Spirit whom Christ has sent. Well, this then is no different from the command to rejoice always or to have joy at all times even in the midst of your trials and suffering. You know, do this not only because this is what God desires from you, but because you have the help and the aid of the Holy Spirit to actually do it. Right? So Paul's not telling us to do something that we can't ever do. We can do it because the Spirit that is to be working in us will enable us to do it to do what we think right now is impossible. And so we need to, we can rejoice always because we bear the fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit works in us. Thirdly, we're able to rejoice in the Lord always because we remember that the God whom we serve is the sovereign, almighty creator of heaven and earth. And this great and awesome God truly cares for us. 
Jesus reminds his disciples when they're tempted to worry and fear. He says this in Matthew 10 verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And here we're instructed that nothing happens. Even sparrows falling to their death, nothing happens outside of the purpose and the plan of God that He has established before the foundation of the world. That is His right and His decree, His sovereign decree of election and predestination. He has purposed all things to happen. And so we can rejoice, even in the midst of the most difficult times, because you know You know that God is willing and able, as Paul reminds us in Romans 8, to work out all things for good to those who love God, to those who have been called according to His purpose. With such a sovereign God, at the helm of all things, truly you can rejoice because you know that He is always in control. And that His will... And His purpose will always be accomplished. You know, the patriarch Joseph in in the book of Genesis likely wasn't very excited when his brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. And yet later, he was able to rejoice because he saw God's hand and purpose in order to bring about a greater good, not only for him, but also for his brothers in sparing their lives. And so in that example, we see that God was sovereign even over this wicked sin of His brothers to bring about the good for the people whom He loves. Our God is a sovereign God. We can truly rejoice at all times because we know that His plan and purpose will come about. And fourthly, we can and should rejoice always Because serving the Lord and seeking to please Him in all we do should bring us great joy. Again, even in the midst of pain and suffering, sorrow and persecution, we can still serve the Lord and glorify Him. This is what the writer to the Hebrews reminds us of about Jesus and what He did for us. In Hebrews 12 to 2, we read this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy... That was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, serving the Father's will by serving us and securing our salvation, even submitting himself to the pain and suffering of the cross, had brought great joy to Jesus because he knew that the reward for faithful service. That reward of not only uh, resuming his place at God's right hand, but also the great reward of the joy and fellowship that he would enjoy with us in his presence for all eternity. That this joy would be far greater and far outweigh the pain and the suffering that he would endure on the cross for our sins. And so truly rejoice in the Lord always. 
Friends, that is the first step to finding peace, is rejoicing in the Lord. The second step comes in verse 5, and it's also a command. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now note that the, the command here isn't that you simply be gentle, but that you show and, and make known or demonstrate your gentleness or your gentle spirit to others. You see, being gentle is understood. It's understood or assumed because Paul expects that they already have this fruit of the Spirit. So here's another fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And if they already have the Spirit working in them, well, they ought to then also already have this gentleness. They have it and possess it already. And their duty then is to show and demonstrate that gentleness to all people. Now the word here for gentleness is a very uh, diverse word as, it, as can be seen. And, and if you look at different translations of this verse, a gentle spirit, reasonableness, moderation, forbearing spirit are just some of the examples. And these are all accurate. But really the general sense of the word is perhaps best understood as being yielding. As in not insisting on every right. In other words, gentleness means being willing to not always get your own way. Desiring to get your own way is, of course, the natural sinful inclination of our hearts. And it's only possible to be truly yielding to others because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and bringing about this fruit. But it's something you can and should possess. In Christ, you're to yield your own desires and seek to submit to the will and service of God first and foremost in your lives. Now, I know the term submit and submissiveness and submission is, tends to scare people today because of various abuses and, and negative associations, but it's a thoroughly uh, uh, biblical term and it's a good term. It's a term that we shouldn't be afraid to use. But when you use it, you see, often we're, we use it in the sense when we're talking about others. But when you use it, when you use the word submit or submissive, you should always remember first, your calling in Christ. Your calling in Christ to be submissive to the will of God. Even as Christ Himself submitted to the Father's will to accomplish our salvation. Right? Too often we like to tell other people that they need to be submissive. Well, if we want to use that word submissive, we've got to think about ourselves, that we need to be submissive to the will of God. Well, it's this yielding, this submissive, gentle spirit that you're to demonstrate to all people. Now, this is not just uh, to one another inside the church, but also to others even outside the church. And you can show this gentleness in the simple way that you live your lives and your interactions with people. It means you don't overreact in a, in a huff of words and emotion if you don't get your way on something. Acting like a, a small child having a temper tantrum, as some are prone to do. Now instead, respond reasonably. Respond in a gentle manner, 
perhaps even yielding to someone else's preferences or being tolerant of someone else's opinions and perspectives, even when you think you're right. And you know they have to be wrong. You at least have to hear them out. See, such gentleness shows compassion. It shows understanding. And indeed, such gentleness in, in conversation and daily life may even be cause for someone to ask you, to come up and ask you to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Because they see that your response is different from how other people respond. Hey, why are you, why are you being so gentle and, and yielding? Indeed, it's a question you're not likely to hear if you're rude and abrasive and unkind. And so we're called to be gentle and to demonstrate that gentleness to all. Well, the reason Paul gives for this command is that the Lord is at hand. Now, this can be understood in two ways. First, it can mean the Lord is near in presence. That is, God's watching, perhaps even testing our faith to see how Christ-like we are. And certainly if the Lord has called us to be gentle, and if He's given us the Holy Spirit to bring forth such fruit in our lives, well then we should be diligent to obey, and seeking to bring glory to His name. Is it hard and difficult to be gentle and yielding? Well yes, of course it is. God certainly knows this. And yet again, this is why He's given us the help of the Holy Spirit. And if you complain or protest... Well, do I really have to show gentleness to this person? The one who hurt me so bad and, and, and who's, who's harmed me and, and caused great affliction to me? When all I want to do is, is just cut them down to size with harsh and angry words? So do I need to be gentle to them? Well, yes, you do. For it's at these times that you need to call to mind that God, our great God, in His abounding grace, mercy, and compassion, that He puts up with you and with all your offenses. And yet He is always ready to forgive and bless you at all times. Paul says in Colossians 3, <clears throat> verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Friends, the Lord is near watching to see if you respond to others as He in Christ has graciously responded to you. But this phrase, the Lord is at hand, could also be a reference to the second coming of Christ. Right? The Lord is at hand. He's, he's coming soon. He's coming to be the righteous judge of all the earth. And when He comes, He'll vindicate His saints. The ones who've suffered wrong before all. And so Paul is mindful of this, that we don't need to take vengeance into our own hands because the judge of all the earth will come and he will do that for us. This is what Paul reminds in uh, Romans 12, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. 
For in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, beloved, when you show gentleness to all people, especially toward those who cause you harm, you're actually overcoming evil with good and taking one more step toward that peace of God. So rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be known to all men. And then the third and final step toward peace is another command in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer. Talking to God. Pouring out your hearts to Him in all truth and sincerity and honesty. Prayer is the great anxiety killer. Are you anxious about the future, about world events, about finances, relationships, your health, or whatever it is? Well, don't be. Again, note all the all-inclusive language. Be anxious for nothing. Now, what's included in nothing? Everything. <laughs> now, we shouldn't misunderstand. Paul isn't saying don't care and, and don't be uh, unconcerned. You see, there's a big difference between a genuine having a genuine concern and, and a care for something and an overzealous panic concern that leads to worry and anxiety. And usually most things that we worry about anyway, we're, we have no control over. And so worrying is, is pretty pointless. And somebody once said, I don't know where it comes from, but you know, worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't get anywhere. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples when they were worried about their basic needs and how they would survive. He says in Matthew 6, Which of you by wearing can add one cubit to his stature? Can you make yourself taller by wearing? No, it's impossible. You can't do anything by wearing. So what do you do with these things then that may be very real concerns? And certainly some of the things that we've mentioned are real concerns. I mean, if you're sick, if you have someone who's uh, relative and, and failing health, I mean, that's a real concern. The economy is terrible. If you've got uh, financial issues, that's a real concern. But you don't have control over many of those things. So what do you do? Well, note the dramatic contrast. Paul says here, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, pray. The antidote to anxiety is to set all your burdens before the Lord. Entrust them to His care because He's the only one who has any control over anything. Now this isn't the let go and let God that's popular in modern evangelicalism. As, as you turn things over to God and then you basically expect Him to do everything. No, we're called to do something in return. And Jesus gives us this charge in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But that's not all. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Yes, you come and you, you lay your burdens down. But you, see, almost, you must also take up the yoke of Christ. Which in comparison to your burden is, is easy and light. And so this is how you find rest and peace. By coming to Christ in prayer. By laying your burdens before Him and taking up His yoke. Well, the obvious question is then, well, what's His yoke? Well, it's following Him. Following Him out of love and devotion to Him and doing what He commands. This was the encouragement He gave to His disciples. Jesus gave after warning them again against worry in Matthew 6. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So again, instead of wasting time worrying about things, turn to the Lord in prayer. Lay down your concerns before Him and diligently seek Him in His kingdom and all that He calls you to do. And then trust that He will surely care for you and provide for you as He surely will. As Paul goes on to note though, Our prayer and supplication to God must include the element of thanksgiving. And so remember and and give thanks. Remember, give thanks for past favors, for present blessings that you enjoy, and even remember and give thanks for the certainty of future promises yet to be fulfilled. And these prayers should be specific and honest. Let your request be made known to God. If you want to know how to Make your request known to God. Read through the Psalms. And you'll see that many of the Psalms are brutally honest and they're very specific prayer requests that are being made to God. Well, this is how your prayer prayer should be as well. With all reverence. Be honest. Be honest with God about your struggles. Be honest with God about what it is exactly that's causing you to be anxious. You see, the clearer and the more specific you can be, the better that you'll be able to just turn it over to His care. And He truly does care. The Apostle Paul, or the Apostle Peter, excuse me, in, in the midst of facing his own struggles and trials, writing to a group of believers also fam- uh, facing persecution and trials, exhorts them in 1 Peter 5 to cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Beloved of God, don't be anxious about anything. But cast all your anxieties on the Lord through prayer. Because His love and care for you is great. Rejoice in the Lord. Show your gentleness. Don't be anxious, but pray. Seeking these things and doing these things will then provide a pathway to the peace of God. As we see in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now I want to say that the peace spoken of here isn't what we call a justifying peace. That is, a justifying peace is the peace that we have with God because of what Christ accomplished for us. 
This is what Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as a believer in Christ, we already have peace with God. And it's a peace that we can't, uh, that can't be removed or taken away. If we've been justified and we have peace and reconciliation with God through faith in Jesus Christ by His grace, we cannot have that taken away. So we have it already. But the peace of God spoken of here is actually the very experience or the sense of the presence of God with us. The experience of a certain confidence and hope, even in the midst of great turmoil and trouble, that everything is actually just going to be alright. As you trust in God, with a very calm, resolved trust. It's the peace and rest that Jesus promises when you come to Him and lay your burdens down before Him. It's a supernatural peace. And you'll find yourselves uh, really at a loss to explain it. And in fact, others are left in wonderment about how you can remain so calm and peaceful in the midst of such turmoil. And perhaps you've had this, uh, this experience. right? Someone, you're going through a difficult time or there's something going on in the world around you and, and you're calm, cool, and collect. And somebody comes up to you and says, how can you remain so calm and peaceful during this time? I'd be a mess. And I am a mess. Well, the best way you can describe it is probably... Well, it's my faith in God that helps me, that gives me peace. But you see, unless a person is a believer and has sensed that calming presence of the Lord themselves, they're not going to understand. They're going to have no idea. It's beyond comprehension what you're talking about. That your faith can give you peace in the midst of turbulent times. And this supernatural peace is going to guard your hearts and minds. And it's going to, it's going to build a, a garrison or a, a fortification around your hearts and minds, including your emotions, your will, your desires, and your thoughts. So that you'll be kept from unnecessary panic and worry. You're going to be guarded, well guarded against abrasive and unreasonable responses. You'll be protected from taking your eyes off of Jesus and turning your eyes back onto yourselves and your circumstances. You'll be guarded against fear, enabling you to more freely rejoice. This is the great blessing of peace that is in store for those who seek to be free from anxiety and worry. But note closely that it is the peace of of God. And it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Earlier we noted the critical importance of rejoicing in the Lord. And that the Lord is at hand watching you and and that He will soon come again. The peace that you seek the peace that so is, is so desperately needed in our world today. A world filled with anxiety and distress. The peace, this peace only comes in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that He proclaimed. 
It only comes to those who call upon the name of the Lord in faith and trust in Him and the forgiveness of their sins, which He accomplished. Such peace only comes to those who by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in them respond in faith to the words of Jesus. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Truly those who have ears to hear. May you hear even now this call of Christ. And cast all your sins. Cast all your anxieties. Cast all your troubles and your worries on Him. For His care for you is very great. So great that He gave His life so that you might not only have peace with God, but also that you might have the comforting peace of God with you always and forever to the praise and glory of His holy name. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks for such comforting words and challenging words. The Apostle, your Spirit through the Apostle has given to rejoice always and we think about that and we read it and we say, yeah, okay, and then when troubles come, we forget it because we begin to focus on ourselves too much. Lord, help us to be reminded of the peace that we have not only with you, but the peace that we can have, your peace, a sense of your presence, a calming sense of comfort, knowing that you are the one true sovereign God, and that you're in control of all things, doing what we can't do, and that you have our good in mind to preserve us, to protect us, to keep us safe, and that you love us and you care for us as demonstrated by sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. Father, may we be reminded of this and rejoice for that salvation that you have secured for us. To be able to rejoice at all times, even in the midst of of those trials and, and afflictions. As we bear witness to the transforming power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Father, we look around in the world and we look around even in our own lives and our families and we see distress and challenges. We see suffering and affliction. Father, may we be enabled to stand as true witnesses with peace and calm, trusting in you always, laying our cares and our burdens before your feet and seeking to do what you have called us to do, to bring glory to your name. And we pray that even by that witness, there would be some who would come and ask us to give a reason for the hope that is in us. And that at that time, you would give us the words to speak, to share the gospel with them. That they too might enjoy not only the peace with you, but they would enjoy your peace, the peace of your presence, 
now and forevermore. Father, we pray that you would, especially now, by your Spirit, impress these truths upon all of our hearts. That even now we all would come to you and lay our burdens before you. Laying our cares upon you. Acknowledging your love for us. And that you would truly be with us and bless us. We pray all these things to the glory and praise of your holy name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.